everyone, and welcome to episode 162 of Midweek Metagame. I'm Harry G, only joined by one of my regular co-hosts this week, Gabriel Nassif. Hey Harry, hey everyone. Well, well, well. Another Pro Tour and another Top 8 by Gabriel Nassif over in Philadelphia, the United States. There was Pro Tour Phyrexia this past weekend, and of course, in both Draft, in both Pioneer, Gab dominated the field, getting that top eight slot, winning that very nice winning in against, I don't know if it was Bant Spirits or Mono Blue Spirits or whatever, but yeah, sick event. We'll be breaking down everything that I want to chat about and anything that comes to Gab's mind. This whole episode is going to be focused on that with, I'm sure, a few little things that's happened in my life here and there for the past few weeks. But as always, before we get into this, um, the podcast is brought to you by Card Market. If you need anything Magic the Gathering, card game related, go check them out. Dex boxes, sleeves, accessories, singles. You can even sell on there as a sole seller. Uh, and they don't just do Magic. Other TCGs like Flesh and Blood, Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon. You think it's a card game? They've got it. Cardmarket.com, cardmarket.eu. Thank you for them supporting the cast. We also want to thank all the patrons that are still with us and anyone that supports the podcast. We apologize for the inconsistent uploads as uh, Pat is not here with us this week because our work has been clashing as he's obviously a lecturer at a university. So it's pretty cool if you didn't know. And also he has a kid. But um, yes, Gab, you top aided the Pro Tour. It is your 10th top eight, right? Yeah. I was nice. actually going to put you on the spot because you said another Pro Tour, another top eight. Do you know when my last actual like Paper Magic Pro Tour was? Not counting Arena and... All that stuff. Oh, your last top eight. Yeah, of an actual paper pro tour oh. when it was called the pro tour. I know that you were really close in Rivals of Ixalan, but you didn't top eight. It was, and you came fifth in the Magic 25. Oh, I'm going to have to say 2014. No, it was actually the PTI one in Kyoto in 2009. I hadn't... Uh, yeah, because oh, wow. it was it was when I was already on my way, not out, but you know, to playing more poker. Mm. And I, I never did super well. I had a few top sixteens during the the span I was playing poker, and uh, you know, when I came back, didn't quite get top eight, and then it was more of the arena things. And I did I did well in in a lot of these and qualified for worlds, but actual like paper Magic Pro Tour top eight, I, I was quote unquote stuck at nine uh, since Kyoto. So it Damn. was uh, it was kind of a big deal to uh, yeah it was it was you know to to get there S- slightly smaller field this time around only like two hundred and twenty players which didn't hurt my chances but yeah it okay. was it was kind of sick that's really cool I guess something that I would ask is and I've never asked this at my F and M ages ago people would say that. There's these weird stipulations when someone wins a pro tour. Like uh, someone told me that typically pro pet players actually um, like pool their winnings. So if you're in a testing team, you'd say, okay, instead we win our own money. We're all going to just pool our winnings and divide it. Is this something that's actually common or is that just like FNM rumors? I don't think it's that common. Some people on our team had a pre-tournament split. Pre-tournament right. splits are... I guess not that uncommon. Um, I, you know, when when me and and Mark were testing together, we we usually uh, 
split before the tournament and there's a lot of players you know if you have a good friends you you test was and you feel like you're on the same level that's i guess that's a pretty common thing to split you know five ten twenty percent uh you know i think reed and 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 huey probably always had a split when they they played together and um i i didn't do it because the the split money is not meaningful to me not that i'm like super rich but it's not like a big deal and i'd rather not kind of deal with the hassle i guess but i, I did split was was raid when we played in round 15 fortunately i only unfortunately for me i only split 10 percent. but uh <laughs> he, he was willing to split more but i was like 10 10 is fine you know um and, and we didn't split more before top eight because I didn't feel like I had a good matchup and I thought he had a good matchup. So I didn't feel good taking his money. I guess I should have. <laughs> if I was less scrupulous. It was funny actually because um, I I thought he had a good matchup and I didn't have a good matchup. And he felt the other way around. He felt he had a tough matchup and he thought I was going to win my quarters. Oh so wow! He, so he was—he would have probably snapped off, snapped me off if, if I had been like, "You want to split more?" You know. Um, but yeah, as—I guess I was a good friend, and uh, <laughs> let him keep more of his winnings, since he did nice. end up for people who didn't watch. I guess I, I made top eight, and Reed uh, ended up winning the whole thing. Did you? Did you know we were actually roommates too for that event? Yeah, I saw that you guys had like. Um... A massive house. You mean in the ho- testing house? No, I mean with? actual PT. What happened is I was supposed to room with Raph Levy. Uh-huh. And Raph missed his flight because he hadn't renewed his S-Town time. So he couldn't quite make it. And then Reed was going to stay with Logan. But Logan was not feeling super well. And, you know, he felt it was better for him to stay with me. It's kind of funny because I wasn't feeling super well during the tournament. I wasn't feeling bad, but I was like coughing a bit and stuff. So... It would have been funny if he like the room was me to not be with Logan, but then I got him sick. Uh, but yeah, it was it was kind of nice, honestly. I, I wonder how much it factored because we were playing the exact same deck. I think we had one sideboard card difference. Um, I guess for those of you who, who don't know, I, we we ended up playing Creativity, Blue Red Creativity, trying to put a World Spine Worm and Xenagos in play for one shot. You know, 30, 30 trample damage. You. You get Xenagos, the Worm is 15-15 Trample, you give it haste and double its powering toughness. Um, so, yeah, we most of the team ended up playing that. I guess that was one of the questions people had the most today when I streamed was, how do you end up on... I think number one question was, how did Paper Magic feel? And felt really good, kind of same in Sofia, you know, not much had changed, same old, same old, kind of right back in it. Um, I felt pretty comfortable. I don't know how other people felt, but it was good. You know, it felt like the Pro Tour. There was maybe a little less traffic than usual because there was the the Magic Con, but we were a little isolated from the rest, which was maybe by design. Maybe they didn't want too much traffic and too much distraction, but, you know, it was maybe a little more quiet and, and less people. So a little smaller than usual, but the intensity, the the tournament felt kind of like an old Pro Tour. Yeah, definitely. And I think that what made it so much better is the coverage was exceptionally well done. Um, At first, I was actually really confused because everyone was tweeting out that there are draft pod photos and I was trying to find the stream and 
I was really concerned that they weren't even streaming it. But you you had a kind of an in-person experience on what they were doing. And it was like, they made you guys draft and then they waited and then started the stream, right? Did, did you have any information on the floor there about what they were doing? So I think on day one, they started was a two hours delay, right? They started at... We started playing at 9, and I think the coverage started at 11. Right. And yeah, I guess it was to to minimize delay and kind of fitting the... You know, they had to film the draft and and get that ready, and they could just jump right into the games. I heard, yeah, I heard nothing but good stuff. The only little complaint I heard was maybe the camera's angles were not great, and you told me was the one complaint you had... A lot of ads. Oh, yeah, you were getting a lot of ads on the Twitch channel. It was kind of surprising. But, yeah, it seemed like people loved it. Like, basically, no downtime. Tons, as many games as they could. Um, decent, decent quality. And so that that's that's awesome. Yeah. Maybe it's a placebo effect. Because they were showing so much content, it always feels like they're showing ads because you can almost not want to miss anything, right? Um, I thought, you know... All the commentators were on point. I felt like the news desk was actually relevant. Um, Manny, uh, I've forgotten their surname, but Zapgaze on Twitter was honestly a really good commentator, just made everything interesting. The deck techs were really good. And something that I really respect now that I do YouTube is that the one thing you have to do is both make your magic content entertaining for a competitive player but also very understandable for a casual player, or you're not going to get that very high view count. And I thought that the quality of the news desk was so good, and the commentary and the downtime was so low, that this was a stream that I would say is optimized towards having both competitive and casual players satisfied. So that's why I was really impressed with the whole ordeal, and I had no complaints. I mean, you could complain about the camera angle, you can't read the cards and whatnot. There's so many suggestions I could make. But it's in the moving towards the right direction. And with a stream like this, when you have that set up already, it's so easy to make like a couple changes for the next time and still maintain this quality and make even better yeah. and better and better. So yeah, like, props to them, props to them. Especially for the main feature, because the main feature had spotters, meaning there's someone behind you, like each player has someone behind them writing down the cards on they have their tablet and they take a look at your opening hand, and then every time they draw, you draw a card, they update it, and that's why you could see the the content of the hands when it was the main feature, but not when it was secondary, third, fourth feature match. So, not props to them. Um, no, no yeah. technical issues. It sounds like at all. Yeah, actually, none. No, no camera quality. It's funny because the arena stream you would think is the one with no technical issues, right? But no, the arena streams compared to this, this was the event to watch. I actually enjoyed all of it. I stayed up till like 2 a.m. both nights to watch. Wow. The night where I had an RCQ on the Sunday. Well, on the Saturday, I still stayed up late because obviously your winning in was like one of the last matches. I was like, I'm staying up. So uh, yeah, overall, like my experience was amazing. Your experience in leading up to it was clearly great. Was there um some something specific, I guess, in Pioneer you did mention? You're playing Is It Creativity. Um, I actually helped 100% uh, Cherry X-Men, Kieran Dokia, a test for the event. And obviously, we focus heavily on draft. But the Pioneer 
portion because Kieran's obviously or Cherry X Man is one player. <laughs> you can't really um, have flexibility with the cards. So he just said, "Look, I can I can lend like sixty percent of red green vehicles. I'll just buy the rest of it and play that deck. I I don't care. I'm just gonna make sure I smash the draft." Mm-hmm. Um, so for you guys, obviously, I'm I assume you guys didn't have card availability problems. When did you think you were going to be set on creativity before the event? It was kind of close, actually, for the card. Somewhat close. Uh, what happened is... So, yeah, kind of a quick history of, I guess, the, the prep and how we ended up on creativity, most of us, is that we, we tested a bunch and it never seemed like at any point anyone was super, super high on, on one deck specifically, you know. Some decks seemed pretty good at one point or another, but um, myself going, uh, you know, my, my teammates got together on the Thursday before the tournament. I met them on Saturday. And when I flew in, where I was at was like, okay, I've got blue-black control I like. Right now it's my default deck, but if the team kind of comes to a consensus. So if there's something like they feel is is better than the rest, I'll just probably play that unless unless I feel like I'm still crushing with blue black. Um, so I get there and I guess it was kind of Mike Sigris who had been playing creativity for a while. I had played the the Sodec list on on stream actually. I played a couple leagues. I think I had gone nine one uh, on leagues on stream. And at the same time, some of my teammates were into creativity, whether it was that version or version was was Gear Hulk, and and Opus. So I was I was I remembered actually feeling like mm, maybe maybe I shouldn't have played the deck and done that well on stream. Hopefully, it doesn't clue anyone in. But then after that, people were kind of off it. You know, I think Mike just kept playing the deck and he he kind of liked it, and everyone else who tried it was pretty lukewarm and not convinced. But then we got to the testing house and I guess we didn't have a clear front runner and Siggy just came prepared. He had the deck, he was jamming games, he was doing well. And we felt like the the Ragdos matchup was slightly favored. We felt like the green matchup was pretty heavily favored at first, but then much, much more close to even, but still favored. And... We thought we were okay against white, okay against control was our sideboard plan. Same for Lotus. Game one was rough, but but sideboard games were good. And you talked about Gruel, which was a bit kind of the breakout deck of the Pioneer Showcase and the Pioneer Challenge the previous weekend. There was a lot of it, and it did pretty well. And that matchup actually seemed really, really good because they're a little too slow. Our removal is good, and they have basically no hate and no... Uh, no sideward options. Juza was actually talking about why don't we just play Gruel with four Ratchet Bomb in our sideboards, <laughs> um, you know, to just get rid of the token. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it sounds when you say it that way, it sounds a little too good to be true. Oh, we just have favorable matchups against, you know, the the five or six decks we think are going to be the most played. But honestly, it was kind of that, and our our win rate was was good. I played blue black in the showcase on Sunday. I actually went seven two. But I was oh, just damn. too I was just too worried about the Ragdos matchup. Um because what happened is after that I played a bit against Seth when he, he played green and Ragdos and he beat me. 
kind of badly in both sets. So it was a small sample, but I got kind of cold feet, I guess. And the creativity deck, people seemed on board. So I was like, okay, you know, that was a deck that I kind of liked in the first place anyways. I thought I would be okay at playing it. I didn't think it was like super hard to play. And it was a bit under the radar. I think there was only one creativity list in the top 32 of the showcase combined was the challenge of the weekend before the PT, which is going to have a lot of eyes on. Um, actually, the um, Derek Davis, who made top eight of the Pro Tour, is Dirk, I think it's Dirk 7741, who's actually the guy who won the showcase. Or the, yeah, because I was like, oh, so when I played against him, we, we actually played in the Swiss and constructed. And I was like, oh, were you were you already on the deck before this weekend or did you just see the list and pick it up? And he was like, oh, that's actually me. I'm Dirk seven for one. I'm the guy who won the showcase. I'm like, oh, nice. And he had been on the deck for weeks, he said, months. Um, wow. He actually came ready. If you look at his list of the PT, it has one. It's a one, one flying for a white and two. And you can pay a white and free to exile it and exile a creature. So he was, you know, he was worried that people would show up with Elishnorn or worried about the mirror, and he wanted a a target for incarnation that could get rid of an Elishnorn. Damn. So he was like kind of almost a little too far ahead because there wasn't actual that much incarnation in the tournament, but it's a fine card. I think it also makes a 1-1 flying when it comes into play, so... But uh, yeah, for that deck specifically, you want ideally a free casting cost creature because you have so many two mana enchantments. So you want mm. your silver bullet to be free mana if possible. So that was kind yeah. of funny. But yeah, we most of us played Creativity. Uh, three of us played Ragdos Sack because we thought we basically thought Ragdos and Green would be the two most played deck, and then maybe Gruel and then. Lotus and White, we kind of nailed it. Not that it was like super hard to nail because it wasn't super surprising. I don't think anyone was surprised when they saw the metagame, but we did nail it. And then there was one player, Ben Longquist, who tested with us but wasn't at the house who played White Black Auras and he did really well too. But yeah, if you look at the win rates, if you look at, I think, every deck that was played by five or more players, Creativity and Ragdos had the best win rates. Even though we were probably two thirds of the creativity players and we're a pretty good group of player, so that's gonna, you know, we're I guess we're expected to have a a, a decent win rate, but I think it was still like fifty six or fifty eight, which is even for us, it's it's not easy at a at a pro tour, especially pro tour level. Mm. Dang, yeah, that's really good. <laughs> No, it's 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 so interesting to see the Pro Tour back and everyone making their own deck decisions because the one thing that Cherry and I were talking about is how the the sideboard, obviously, because he wasn't going to change what deck he's on, but I was saying, we were saying to each other, like, there has to be a deck that no one plays on Magic Online, but someone's going to come and top eight the event with it. And we couldn't really make up our mind on how to tune his sideboard. I've forgotten it now because we've talked about it for too long, but I think he ended up going with some four of of a card that isn't stock i don't remember check yeah. check out his deck list if it's publicized but yeah I, I thought that it was really cool how everyone builded their decks and i wasn't too surprised about yeah. everyone else's choices but creativity was really cool the, i think that i saw oh yeah sorry i was gonna say the people that went rogue did really well it's small sample but there was a team who played uh 
a bring to light deck, kind of like Niv. Oh. Lots of Sivir Bolas, but not actual Niv. It was a deck with four Omnath and they had a lot of cheap removal. They played Fable and they played the, the good one offs, you know. Um, I think they had, you know, a couple different sweepers in the main, including Extinction Event for Green. I think they had the Slaughter Games in the main. So that was a cool deck. And the, the people who played Auras, whether it was Auras of or White Green, I, I think I even saw Abzan. Um, all the Auras deck did well. Damn. And, yeah, and no, I. Sorry. Sorry. And I was going to say, what's funny is I think now Blue Black Control is. I already thought it was a good deck, but I was a little scared of Ragdos. But I think now, if you look at the best performing decks, Blue Black Control is actually amazing against all these decks. And, you know, Ragdos did really poorly. So if ever, you know, Ragdos and Green are way less played now. And, and you know, there's more of these incarnation, bring to light, you know, creativity, uh, you know, all spirits. I don't know if spirits did especially well, but uh, as you said, I played it in my winning in anyways. Uh, and Blue Black's actually really, I think, in a really good spot in, in, in this metagame, in, in this quote-unquote updated metagame, if that's what people do now, but we'll see. Mm. Yeah, over the weekend, you had, not including Sunday, I think you had three or four co- coverage matches because you had one draft match in the coverage area, right? And then yeah, you so had... They- so, yeah, so they covered my 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 day two draft, uh, you know, the pod one, and I was the feature drafter. And then I got a main feature match round nine. I got a main feature match against uh, Reed for our winning in. And I got uh, a few secondary feature matches too. I don't think I got a main feature match on day one. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I actually did miss a bit of day two then, actually, because I never watched the draft, but that's interesting. Um, yeah, no, because I think there were two cool moments, because you played against a enchantment deck. The Yeah, yeah, they showed oh, two of these games, yeah. That was secondary, but they actually showed two oh. of our games against Derek Davis, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and there was such a cool moment, because you were playing around him having Ley Lines Binding, right? Yeah. he had three cards in hand for a yeah. couple turns. And yeah. then you were forced to go for the combo and you didn't have it, right? So and then you game... said to the camera, so, oh, you never had it. Yeah, so that was game two. And I guess it maybe only showed game two. Game one, what happened is that he he kind of... Uh, he went, It was actually in chat when I was going over the torrent. And he, you know, he acknowledged that he, he got like a little hasty. I needed to have kind of a perfect hand. But he also wasn't in a super rush to tap out. So I had three cards left and he tapped out kind of low. And I had exactly Sokenzan to make two tokens. Untap, I had to draw an untap land to have exactly seven mana, creativity for two, backup, make disappear. So, you know, you could argue, oh, he got really unlucky. And I had to have, you know, close to a perfect hand, but also did, you know, I don't think he had to risk it. And and it was funny because he had played the matchup twice and I hadn't, and he had beaten both my teammates. And I kind of benefited from that, you know, um, from their experience. So that helped me, but um, I guess he, he got all, a little overconfident. And in game two... It, yeah, basically, game two, I could have won on turn six or turn seven. I had the combo, 
but I decided I was far ahead enough that I didn't have to risk it into a binding. Because if he did have the binding, it was puts it's it would have set me back so far. You know, it would have been backbreaking. So um, I played it in a quote unquote safe way, and it ended up that he didn't even have the one. He played one binding early on the game, I think, on a shaman token to not fall too far behind. And uh, yeah, it's it's like a really tough matchup game one. And I think after sideboard, it's pretty favorable because you get five extra counters and a bunch of Shark Typhoons, and they can't play a Drago. Because their plan in the mirror is that Binding is so good against us, we have so little counterplay, that they can actually just say go as long as they have Binding mana up. Especially game one, we don't have hard counters. We only had one spell, Pierce Free, make disappear. Um, I actually told my teammates, maybe when that deck did well, I was like, maybe we should have one hard counter on our main, you know. I don't care if it's a negate, a sabotage, whatever you want, but because, you know, just to have that one, because we're playing for impulse, we're playing one dig through time, big score, so we can kind of find it. And they're playing 80 cards, so it's not trivial for them to just draw multiple bindings. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, th these games were, were kind of interesting. But yeah, I think the sideboard games are, are pretty good because if they try to play Drago, you just start cycling Shark on them and that the Shark beatdowns are pr pretty effective. Mm. Damn. I think the match that was really exciting for me is obviously you played against Reed. There was an awkward game one and game two, really, because the mirror seems very heavily uh, skewed towards do you get Fable down or does the Goblin die? Because Reed, obviously, I felt like you were so far ahead game one. I was like, there's no way Gab loses. And then all the treasures from Reed's side of the board really added up. And I realized if Reed just gets a load of treasures, then your spell pierces and make disappears aren't counters anymore. So yeah. I guess kind of your evaluation of the mirror, is is that how you felt? Or did you feel like you were ahead game one? Because I thought you were so far ahead. And then it just swapped because Reed had three big scores in hand and use one and then the next and so what happened is that he chose to draw which was pretty oh. smart he wow. had played the mirror once i had actually tested the mirror but only sideboard games i hadn't played game ones and he felt that fable was actually not that big of a deal in game one because we have a lot of removal mm. that's kind of dead otherwise so sure you you maybe end up having to use two removal spell or at least you know, if you kill the first token, then the, the actual Kiki-Jiki, you don't really care because it's not copying much. Um, so sure, I get a token and I get to loot, but the loot is not card advantage. And the token, you usually have a removal spell to kill. Um, so he chose to draw just the X, you know, the, and I think I mulliganed too, maybe on the play. So I was kind of down two cards the entire game. And it didn't, yeah, as you said, you know, once you start resolving big score... Um, you know, I thought I was looking okay for a while too, but he he was he was always ahead. Maybe I could have played a bit more aggressively. Maybe I played too cautiously. Because I think what happened is, yeah, I didn't jam Fable on three. I waited until I had five or even seven mana. But yeah, and then in game two, he did the classic read thing where he's playing the mirror or he's playing against someone that he you know think is good, and he'll do he'll sideboard in a unexpected way to try and get a, an edge you know and that's exactly what happened and i could feel it coming but I, I i didn't i didn't have the discipline so i chose to play first um because i think after a sideboard it's different because you have all these sharks so i think you want to be the first one to be able to cycle the shark 
and you want to be the first one to get to big score mana so that it's kind of awkward for your opponent to tap out. So I go first, I go land, he goes cave, the red land tapped. I go land, he goes the second cave. So on my third turn, all he has is one red mana up. And I have Fable, and I'm like, dude, there's no way he's keeping a hand that just loses to turn free Fable. You know, he did Mulligan. I'm like, this is weird, but he literally needs to have Captain Fiery Impulse, which seems horrendous in the mirror. You know, I kept in two Fire Prophecy, but Impulse seems like way out there. And he needs to have a Fable to punish me. <laughs> and my hand was a Dispute, a Whore, and a bunch of lands. So I could have just said, go keep this speed up, try to just get to seven mana and play my horror first. But I was like, I don't know, maybe... I basically was like, this is just too unlikely, you know? No matter, even if it's really... So I play Fable, sure enough, Fiery Impulse, untap, play his own Fable, and the oh game was God. basically over. Yeah. Um, yeah, because I, I I didn't find... I Now I was the one who needed to find one of my two Fire Prophecy, because... The treasure tokens that the goblin makes are just so hard to beat in the mirror. And yeah, there was no fire prophecy or no second fable. And yeah, I got, I got, I got Duke, you know, I, the, I knew, I mean, it, you know, it's like in poker when you have a really good hand, but also the, you know, you know, your beat, even though it's just so unlikely, it was, it was the same feeling. You're like, you know, there's no way. I mean, if they have it, they have it, it's life. And, you know, you just tap the hand and say good game and, yeah, that was so. That was pretty sick. Oh. Yeah. Damn. I I think following up from that, obviously Reed had the perfects. Was fortunate. Going into your next winning in, because you versus Reed was a winning in. For those who didn't know, yeah, uh, that you, was... you were both eleven and three. Yeah, uh, yeah, eleven and three. And if you get to twelve wins, you don't even have to keep playing. You're you're locked. So Shoda, I think, was the first to get to twelve wins. Kind of unfortunately for him, because he ended up getting the worst possible matchup in the quarters, got paired against Incarnation, which is, you know, probably his worst matchup. Definitely his worst matchup in the top eight, maybe the worst matchup in the entire field. Yeah. And then you played against Spirits. Yeah, Blue-White Spirits, yeah. And it was an absolute slaughter. Twitch chat was saying, like, Gab's not locked out, and the commentary was saying, this is not pill battle for Gab. And then just boom, 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 bang, bop. You just had all the removal. And honestly, one of the uh, highlights of the day, I won't spoil it, you can tell it, but kind of what was going through your mind? Because it's open deckless. You turn up to the table, you see spirits. Did you feel like you were in a bad spot? So I think spirits is pretty tough game one. They're probably favored. But it's really good for us after sideboard because we basically turn into blue-red control with a million cheap removal spells and four Shark Typhoon, which if anyone's ever played a blue deck against Spirits, they know how good Shark Typhoon is. They usually have very few counterplay, very few ways to get rid of it. It's usually one Auto War and maybe one Brazen Bower. Um, so it's always nerve-wracking to tell yourself you're probably going to lose game one. And even though sideboard games are really good, you know, things can go wrong. Um but I did take a look at the list. It did have a ton of counters, which I thought was good. It only had four uh, denials in the main deck, or lofty denials, I think, or Geissner, which one? I think it was made Geissner. Anyways, and free shore up, which is pretty scary. Um, so I didn't feel like it was the scariest list. 
no spell queller. I don't know if that's good or bad for me. Actually, I'm not sure spell queller is especially great since it doesn't counter creativity. But um, yeah, I, I didn't feel too threatened by the list, but I, I didn't know what to expect, and it was just so smooth. You know, my game one, he's on the play, he mulligans. My opening hand is perfect. Like I'm not sure. I'm literally not sure. I could craft. I could pick a better hand if I could pick the seven cards. Dang. It was, it was, two lands, a spike field hazard, which is you know one mana removal or land if they don't have a one drop. I had a fiery impulse as another <laughs> one mana removal. I had a fire prophecy as a two mana removal. <laughs> I had a fable of the mirror breaker and I have my one main deck shark typhoon. No combo pieces. No awkward counter. No big score. Just literally exactly what you want to do in the I mean that's literally what you want your deck to be in game two right that's what I sideboard in tons of cheap removal and then you just went with fable and shark mm. and then he just literally went one drop I killed it he <laughs> missed his second land drop I kill his second second one drop and then play a fable and the game's basically over on like turn three you know um so that was great. And then game two, I didn't have the one mana removal spell. I think I had a couple fire prophecy and a sh I don't remember the exact keep, but it was a little land heavy. I was hoping to at least resolve a fire prophecy to, to get rid of an extra land. And he had a fine draw, but um, a little flooded in the early turns. He didn't have the density of like cheap tricks and whatnot. There was definitely, a, I, I rewatched the game. There was definitely a couple spots where if he had a, an extra spell or two, an extra instant or two, whether it's rattle change, shore up, whatnot, you know, it could have gotten messy for me, but um, he didn't. And I just start links. I cycled like three shark typhoons, I think, in the first six turns of the game. And that was that, you know, so no, no sweat there, really. Uh, so that was nice. Yeah. I think the key moment in game two was there was an attack and you blocked with the shark token and he had. Um... He had a rattle chains to just trade. Yeah, exactly. And if he I brought had another spirit. It would yeah, have... yeah, it would have been a little tougher. I think I might have yeah. still been okay just with more sharks, but yeah, exactly. He could pump his wanderer to two two, but not more. Yeah, and then but game one, you missed the Twitch chat clickbait. Oh yeah, hard cash shark typhoon in a spot where he couldn't do anything about it. I had the choice of between saying go and cycling, or I actually thought it was a good spot to hardcast because he can't get rid of it. He doesn't have a brazen bar. And I had already a couple spells. I think I had a fable and a fire impulse in hand. So yeah, I kind of, I, I before casting it, I, I said for Twitch chat and people loved <laughs> it. So that, that was cool. But yeah, that was, that's the, that's the, the winning in and, um, you know, you talked about limited earlier. I was not super confident in my limited prep because I'd only drafted nine times. I actually uh, had gone one two o two and one two in the house drafts. Oh damn! IRL, yeah. Uh, but you know, with my teammates' help, we had a limited meeting the day before where we kind of recapped everything. We go uh through the pick orders we rank every common and uncommon by kind of tier list of you know first picks etc um so i felt like that would help me and if i could be focused and keep cool during the drafts i, I would i would have a chance and draft one what was tough i i started green going into the draft um i don't know if you've played a ton of that limited format but 
basically blue is is much worse than all the other colors and the the guideline was don't draft blue unless you open an insane blue rare or you really can tell you're just getting fed blue and that's kind of what happened for me i started off green i tried to be everything but blue green i picked a white card i picked a red card or two i picked a black card and then the blue green uncommon table the two free flying toxic one that can proliferate when you play another creature. So I was like, oh, well, you know, I guess, I guess I'm the sucker who gets, uh, <laughs> who gets hooked into blue green. Um, and then there was a frumming bird that table, which is pretty good Damn. blue, blue drop to, to drop. So, you know, uh, after pack one, I was like, it looks like I might have to be blue green, but we'll see. And, I got really lucky. I opened Contaminator, which was 444 green and two uh, trample toxic one, just kind of an I win the game card if they don't kill it right away. So I opened that, which was nice. And then I think there was another blue green uncommon that I passed, but figure with table, which I tabled. So I ended up blue green, really high card quality. And I got lucky in the games. Obviously, you know, no matter how good your your deck is, you have to get lucky. But I got lucky specifically. I played against basically no removal, no one who could kill my four four. So, I think I played the four four on turn three like three or four times, and it only died once. Um, and I got kind of a bunch of free wins. Like my free opponents combined had one way to kill it. You know, if you take their free decks combined, they had one removal spell for it. So that was that was huge for me. Um, and apparently I was the only player who trophied was blue green in the entire pro tour. Damn. Yeah. Just that, you know, cause the arc, that's just not that great. <laughs> I've actually played so much of this limited format. I've done at least 20 drafts and at least 15 seals at this point, just because, um, obviously I was helping cherry test just screen sharing the drafts with each other and just, yeah. you know, working out what what's good, what's bad. Same evaluation. Actually, a big thing that we kind of, we are Cherry's logic going into the tournament is my deck has to have two drops and yeah. um, got to get lucky. And in his first uh, first draft, he got the Eternal Wanderer, which is pretty good. Yeah. Um, and it sucks because he played against Reed, actually, for the trophy. Reed beat him, but he had... He had four turns to draw a land for the Wanderer in hand, and he, wow. he whiffed five draws for land to cast Wanderer to wipe the board on coverage. It was Dang. it was rough. Yeah, it was rough. Um, but I, I don't know if he'd win or not because I actually didn't. I didn't watch the match. Probably. He, he, he he spoiled it for me before it happened, so I knew he was gonna lose. And it was only one game, and he was like ranting to me. Why he was like, "Oh, it sucks so much." I whiffed four draws on land. I was like, "I don't want to watch this." I'm. I trust you that you lost. Like I just turned off the stream. I, I couldn't uh, watch my friend lose. So, what were your your favorite color combos in drafts? And yeah, our favorite two colors, I think, were white, black, and green, black. Um, green, black was obviously well. White, black is so good because it's just aggro, and aggro is so good. But the problem is, is that all the two drops dried up. Cherry said, like, he literally never saw two drops being yeah. passed to him. Um, and then Green Black is obviously great with the 1-5 Toxic 2 with the trigger and the death touch. Um, we actually really hated Blue-Red. People were telling us, we were speaking with some SEG players, like, they were saying, oh, Blue-Red's such a good archetype. We really didn't like that. Yeah. I think that our... It was like... 
black, white, black, green, and red, green were the colors that we always wanted to be in. Yeah. And obviously, magical lines a bit different because you want to open a Microsynth Gardens or open an Atraxa. So there were some wedges in the work. But uh, yeah, I, I went to my own RCQ, I guess. That I have some funny stories from there. I opened what I thought to be a really good pool. I sent it to you. I sent it to Cherry. I thought it was like a solid like six, six out of ten. I had the Master Core. I had this cool toxic, um, you know, theme going with proliferates with the one three that drains for two. If you proliferate, I drained a load of people. But even despite winning five die rolls, I went one and four with this deck. I have no clue how. Um, but I had some cool opponents. One of my opponents actually had a Teferi Hero of Dominaria playmat. And it had a Gabriel Nassif signature <laughs> on the playmat. Yeah. And I was like, oh, is that Gabriel Nassif's signature? He's like, yeah, man. He's like such a cool guy. Like, <laughs> Did you know he top aided the Pro Tour last night? It's so cool. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. I saw. And I was like, I was like, oh, do you watch his stream a lot then? He's like, uh, no, I don't watch it at all. I was like, oh, really? And he was like, yeah, like, I don't care about control. Maybe if I cared about control, I'd watch it. I was like, what? That's funny. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, cool. But no, he he really liked you. What's funny is he actually added on to that and he said, yeah, it's really annoying. He cursed me at this tournament because when I got him to sign it afterwards, I never won another <laughs> match. <laughs> he said that to me. I was like, oh, damn. That's probably, no. in, that's probably in Sofia because that's where we got the play. I mean, like, it can only be oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's must so have been. <laughs> yeah, but no. Apart from that, it was a, it was an interesting day. You know, um, peep, peep, m multiple of my opponents were missing. Tri I had a really awkward opponent when I was still in it. So I lost round one, round two I won, and then round three, because X1 was locked for top eight. Round three, I had a really awkward opponent. Do you know the uh, Rat Lord? Yeah. It's called like the Rat King. For yeah. those who don't know, it's a three mana three three that has Toxic 1, and it gives other rats you control Toxic 1. So I, I play turn 2 Blightbelly Rat, which is a 2-mana two 2-2 two, two Toxic 1 rat. Mm -hmm. And then I play turn 3, the Rat Lord. Mm -hmm. He reads it, I resolve the trigger, obviously I whiff on a rat. And I go combat, he's like, yes. I go attack, he, go, he goes, no blocks. I'm like, okay, damage. He's like, yes, I take 2 and 1 Toxic. Yeah. And I go, no, you take two toxic because of the rat king. Yeah. He goes, oh, okay, I'll kill it then. And I'm like, you can't do that. And he's like, you're not going to be a gentleman. You're not going to be a gentleman and let me kill it. And I'm like, well, I paid 55 pounds to play this event. No. And then from there, it was getting very awkward. And then later on in the game, he plays um, a four mana four one that when it dies, you look at the top three and put one into hand, the rest in your graveyard. Yeah. He sacrifices it, doesn't announce the trigger, doesn't try to resolve the trigger, says go. I draw my card for turn. And then he goes, oh, I'm meant to resolve this trigger. And I'm like, you missed it. So then we call the judge, judge comes over and goes, well, did he take a lot of time to draw his card? And he's like, yes. And he's like, well, you've missed the trigger then. And from there is like the most awkward interaction everyone's just like saying i'm not a gentleman and like yeah. whatever i'm like dude this is your cardboard not mine i'm just sitting here doing my thing like you know what's funny is i'm not even sure the rules work that way anymore i feel like if that happened at the pt they might let him go back on both instances 
Really? It's I don't know where the line is, but they they let you take back. That was actually an insane story. And so the way it was told to me is someone had the Kaido Planeswalker, which you can use twice if you nunchitsu. So they use it once. Mm-hmm. They attack. Damage resolves. And then they try to use it again. And the opponent's like, no, you can't. You have to, you know, nunchitsu to be able to use it again. So they call a judge and the judge rules you're, that he's allowed to go back to combat, nunchitsu a creature in if he wants to, and then use the planeswalker. What? And then I tell that to Kevin, who's the French head judge or one of the head judge. And he's like, well, I'm pretty lenient and... But that's who did he kind of wanted a name, you know. He was like, "Who ruled that way?" <laughs> this is way too far, you know. You, you've because basically the, the the line is usually if you haven't, if there was no meaningful, if there was anything meaningful that happened or no meaningful info was gained, then you can go back. But in this case, you know, you know there is no removal from your opponent because they took the damage and, um. So, for instance, in your case, you know, in the toxic case, nothing meaningful happened. And it was like, so I, I think it, and, and same for the like, sure, you drew a card, but nothing meaningful happened. So um, I actually think that might have been bad rulings, the, the way they, they rule stuff now, which I think is kind of weird. I don't I don't like it, but. Um, See, you say that, but then in the coverage booth, there was actually a big talk on like social media because Willie Edel was playing against someone and uh, the opponent equipped their creature with the two-mana equipment that when it attacks, you make a 1-1 one, one might. Mm-hmm. And uh, they equip, say attack. Willie says, yeah, they attack. And Willie says, do I take the damage? The guy goes, yeah. And then um, Willie's like, you missed the trigger when the guy tries to bring the token in. And the judge in the coverage booth says, yeah, you're not allowed the token. So that's hmm. just a damage step, right? Well, so... What's the condition to get the token? Is it when it attacks or when it deals when damage? When it attacks. When it attacks. So he attacks. Willie's like. Yeah, I mean, nothing meaningful it. change. Like Willie yeah. let him attack anyway, so it's not like. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm kind of confused now. I guess I don't know because. Yeah, we actually talked about it before the tournament. We we're just like. You should just assume that if your open misses something and calls a judge, they will be granted, you know, maximum reasonable leniency and be able to take back stuff. So, yeah, I'm not sure. It'd yeah. be nice if... I don't know what the rules are, how they're written, what's the, the policy, but yeah. Yeah, but yeah, for for limited, I don't know if it was some, some in-house fluke, but we, we had red-green kind of at best archetype. Um my teammates were actually pretty low on the white green and black green. I, I kind of like white green, but it was a really small sample. And we had white red. We were crushing was white red, and oh. I didn't I didn't really see or hear anyone be super high on the white red. If anything, I heard blue white people liked, which we thought was weird. We thought maybe yeah. it was a, a best of one thing where you don't have to play against sideboard card, you don't have to play against someone boarding in, you know, free. All of a sudden, you have that sideboard card that's a doom blade. Um, you know, yep. um, 
God forbid you get paired against that someone who has the red zenith, the red twilight, you know? Oh. It's like a red and X kill. It's like one-sided play, like nightmare. So we're a little weird, like, because I heard few people say they like blue-red, but yeah, red-green. And yeah, white-red. People were just crushing with white-red. The the white-red equipment actually opened in my second draft. I picked the sword because I also picked the sword, but um, the white-red on common equipment is kind of the nuts, so... That's what, you know, I was looking to draft white, red, or or red, green. And then, yeah, we were not super high. They were not basically not high on the toxic archetypes. Um, maybe maybe white, black a bit more because white, black has a lot of cheap drops. A lot of, you talk about two drops. And mm. if you could see me during my, my feature draft, I was just, I was getting okay cards and my deck turned out kind of okay, but I was kind of shaking my head as the draft went because I could not get a two drop. And I think maybe that's, Maybe the biggest difference when you draft that a tournament like the Pro Tour as opposed to online is that you're not getting these 30, or sometimes you are obviously, but usually you're not going to get these 30 playables, too many two drops. You know, people are are paying attention to their curve. People are are valuing these two drops really highly. And I ended up with one two drop in my deck, despite the fact I was... <laughs> I'd have taken two drops over almost anything. I had a, a bunch of one drops, so that makes up a tiny bit for mm. it. But yeah, um, definitely two drops at, at a premium when you, you draft you draft with other good players. Yeah, um, I, I personally been falling in love with limited one because I kind of associate constructed with work, but also because I feel like you can actually get an edge over people who. Um, don't know the format that well and that typically comes up a lot like people having random cards aren't very powerful and stuff yeah. like that so that's why i've been more limited leaning in my free time um but yeah no overall i i think the format's decent if you haven't played it already it's a fun format to get into I'm excited for more limiteds to come and i thought that overall like limited at the pro tour was interesting this time at least because i studied it maybe if i didn't study it it would be boring but the fact that the pro tour had fifteen thousand viewers no matter if it was pioneer or limited was pretty sick i didn't get to see the average viewers on the sunday but it seemed consistent throughout um friday saturday so overall i thought the pro tour was just a huge success and that was one of my main catalysts to go to this rcq despite what going one and four i'd like to at least make somewhat of an effort to try and qualify for the pro tour now when maybe four months ago i had no interest at all yeah well hopefully more people feel the same way and you know, all the hard work the, the the Wizards people put in and the awesome event they ran, you know, kind of make, makes a difference and makes more people want to play. Hopefully, you know, whoever the, the, the people, you know, people at Hasbro, you know, higher ups, you know, I'm not talking about people like Huey, but like, you know, kind of people higher than him are, you know, see that and feel like it's okay to invest a bit more money in to organize plan and whatnot uh, who knows but yeah it was it was it was i think the, the players were really happy sounds like the viewers i know it, it went up to seventeen thousand viewers on friday i'm not sure what it peaked at on saturday and sunday but um oh uh, yeah um yeah but there... yeah yeah go ahead no i was gonna say was there anything else that kind of uh you thought maybe we missed that happened at the PT? Any cool stories? Well, I guess my main question is, you top-aided read one. What did you guys do that Sunday night? 
I flew home on Sunday night. Oh, uh, and I think maybe <laughs> um, Reed drove home. I know uh, there was a, a dinner, a big dinner at a place called Fogo de Chao. It's a Brazilian steakhouse. For those of you who don't know the concept, you basically, it's all you can eat. So you're sitting at a table and you have a little sign that has a, a green side and a red sign. And if it's green, it means you want more meat. And they basically, there's a bunch of waiters that good table after table they each have a different cut of meat and they come and they're like you want that kind of meat and you can say yes or no and there's wow. also like a salad bar and a bunch of apps and stuff so it's it's pretty decent you know it's but it's <laughs> it's good good food if, if you like me it's really good and uh, so that was the big dinner i think it was for lsv's birthday too um mm. no it was cool there was also while we were there there was mike sigrid's birthday and juza got him I don't know if you saw these, um, I think it's NRG who did that, these plaques for the, the, the like players who did the best on their tour. And uh, Juzad did the same thing for Siggy. He got a huge plaque and was all his big, re- big finishes and all the kind of most meaningful, impactful, you know, how do you say, just memorable cards? Memorable cards of these tournaments. Uh, yeah. So for each big event, there's like a, a picture of Siggy, uh, you know, either playing or holding a trophy or whatnot. And then the f- free cards that were like super memorable from that tournament. Like Juzai went through the coverage, you get the pictures to like see which cards he won was or so that was, that's really wow. cool. Just, you know, hanging out with, with, with people in the house was, was fun. I didn't even play that many games, but I was, I was also definitely played a bunch, but I was content just watching and, discussing stuff and i wonder if some ways that helped me just more watching people play the deck and against the deck than actually playing the games myself um and i thought i played pretty well i made i made one match losing mistake in limited against 10 grams david inglis where i made an attack and you know we play was open decklist for limited and i forgot he had shieldred's edict and Basically, all I had to do was move my battle chair, the plus four, plus four trample equipment, to any creature but my token. And I didn't because I was like, oh. You know, I even wrote down some of his tricks, but not all of them because I was like, I guess, kind of lazy or dumb. Oh, well, I forgot. Anyways, and I attacked with everything, and he just edict for token. He chose token mm. creature, so I had to sack my 6-6 six, six trample, and, and then he had a pretty favorable block. If I just moved the battle chair to literally any other creature, he would have had to make some bad trades and I probably would have won. So that was a Damn. bummer. Yeah. But besides that, I thought I played pretty well. I thought it was a couple spots where, you know, in hindsight, maybe I've played differently. But um, um, yeah, uh, constructed went well. I went eight, eight and eight and two. One of the losses was the mirror. The other was blue-white control. That's my first loss on day one. So I went 7-1 on day one. And then draft didn't go so well. I went 1-2. Kind of a tough draft for me. Um, if anyone's interested, you can obviously check the VOD on the Magic side. Or Andrew Cuneo, he made a video on his YouTube channel where he analyzes my draft. And I, I actually watched that on stream today. I was going to watch the coverage, but I was like, oh, Andrew made a video. Might as well do that and see what he had to say. And I did make one horrendous pick. 
I actually like gasped when I saw the pick because I had forgotten it. It was basically I opened Chimney Rabble and another OK4 mana card, and I ended up taking the land that puts all counters. And I forgot oh. I had, you know, I assume I took the Chimney Rabble and I tabled the land because I knew I had the land in my deck. And I actually took first pick the land because I think I was thinking, oh, I already have a lot of four drops, so maybe I'll land. And I didn't even end up playing the land. So I, I literally like, oh my God, I really did that. It was, but besides <laughs> that, you know, I kind of just had a rough seed. And uh, so I went one, two, and then I went uh, four, one again and constructed just losing to read. Other mistake I made that I regret is in, in the quarters, in the first sideboard game, I think my sideboard plan was off. I I basically played against white green auras and I boarded in all my rending volley. I didn't trim any removal. And I think that was too much. I think you on the play, I, I didn't need to have, you know, 11 removal spells. I should have had an extra shark or two or maybe a negate. And what I ended up keeping like rending volley, fiery impulse, freelance to creativity. And he just went hexproof creature on turn one double audacity and i just died with that rending volley in hand and maybe i probably would have still lost but maybe if it was a shark typhoon or in a gate I, I might have had a shot so um that's kind of my one regret we had dinner planned for saturday night and i didn't really test the matchup a ton i only played a few games the morning of i figured there was not a ton to figure out it was somewhat straightforward and I would get to play a couple pre-boarded game ones anyway and get a better idea. Reed had played the matchup too, so we can kind of theorize, but definitely in, in hindsight anyways, I would just, you know, not go to dinner with my friends and try and practice a matchup. Or I could have asked my teammates too, which was what the Benton did. He he got his teammates to play as a matchup all night. And I feel like that's something I would have probably done back in the day and maybe got a little, a little lax. Um, so, well, you know, <laughs> should I, yeah, should I, would I, could I, you know, but uh, uh, he kind of had really good draws. So I'm not sure. I'm not even sure it would have mattered. He, for maybe some of you saw the finals where he mulliganed into oblivion every game against me. He mulliganed only twice in four games, which <laughs> is pre pretty low for us, even though maybe his list is more consistent than Orza for us or other kind of auras. Damn. Overall, yeah. seems like a really good event, though, for all of you guys. Yeah. So no. this qualifies... Sorry, I was just going to say this qualifies you for Worlds and for every other Pro Tour this year? Yeah, I really only needed 9-7 or better to be qualified for all the PTs because I was qualified for this one through regionals. I did well in Sofia. Then I had one Hall of Fame invite I could use. So I needed to just go 9-7 in this PT or the next one. Now that's done, I'm qualified for Worlds, which I didn't had forgotten about when I made top eight. Uh, you know, that would be one of the first thing you probably think of. You're like, oh, I made top eight and now I'm qualified for Worlds. I'd forgotten. Only through scrolling through Twitter the, the Sunday morning, I was like someone mentioning Worlds and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm qualified. I think it was the same for Reed. He hadn't, he didn't realize right away he he was huge for Worlds. So that's really cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I know. Wow, that's nuts. Okay, guess that's another event that I'm gonna be helping Cherry test for to beat you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, how did yeah, how did Cherry end up doing? Um, he four four day one, and then uh sadly went eight and eight. Oh. But he didn't lose his winning in. He lost at 
he lost the round before the last one for eight losses. He just played for cash or or for fun. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, that's still tough. One, yeah, one rough. I don't think Cherry really cares to be honest. Um, okay. He's applying for jobs, and oh. he said that even though because he did well in the mocks, he actually is qualified for the regionals, and he said he doesn't care about going to that. So, yeah, yeah I don't think he. I don't think he minds at all to be honest. I don't even think he wants to go to Worlds. He was kind of saying to me that he doesn't really care about going to Worlds. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. But I think he'll go just because obviously you get like a cash to turn up, right? He'll he'll cash in the check. But yeah. I think that's it for the Pro Tour, right? Seems to be everything covered there. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's stuff I, I forgot, but yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, I think, good enough right now. Yeah, I, I've been playing some modern won't make it too long but i'm sure there are so many big modern fans out there obviously i'm trying to clickbait still for youtube that never changes um try devoted druid and modern i thought that the deck wasn't that bad tyvar and tyvar stand makes the deck more playable than you think there's also an equipment that went under the radar giada's uh it's called like giada's gift it's a one mana equipment that you can pay three to equip to a creature and it gets plus one plus one for every counter on it so you equip the devoted druid you can put infinite minus one minus one counters on the druid because it then gets infinitely plus one plus one from the equipment oh, wow. so you play four stone forge mystic four devoted druid four vizier four eladomri's call four tyvar then you play a load of one of creatures that help you kill and tyvar gives the devoted druid haste but also Tyvar gives um, Stoneforge Mystic haste. So there's so many lines of like minus Tyvar, get back Stoneforge Mystic, put Caldra into play, attack, kill the Planeswalker. Um, you play Giver of Runes. So many things that you can activate with haste with Tyvar. I thought the deck wasn't terrible. I don't think the deck is tier one, but having Lair of the Hydra as an infinite mana kill and something relevant, a Lair of the Hydra, you make infinite mana, you can equip Caldra to an infinity finity layer of the Hydra for free. You've got Tyvor Stand, that's an infinite pump for lethal. Walking Ballista still. There are so many different ways that you can kill infinitely. I thought the deck wasn't that bad. I went 4-1 um, with the deck, only losing to Murktide because removal and counter spells is obviously still a big problem. I didn't play against the Solitude as well, so I can't judge against that, but... That was pretty cool. Honestly, I played... just listening to that, it sounds really good. Like every card you're mentioning has that's when these decks are good when every card interacts favorably with not just one card, but kind of all the other cards in the deck. And mm. I don't know. I mean you kind of been I I think <laughs> I mean I don't know. You played the deck. You did go four and one, so yeah. Obviously, if Murktide is a really bad matchup in modern right yeah. now, it's not the greatest spot, but sounds sounds kind of sweet. Someone was saying to tackle Murktide is maybe Fiend Artisan, which is a cool one. Yeah. Um, so th there are definitely many ways to build the deck. I, I wouldn't be surprised if even you 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 can play some different combination than I played. But I, I personally really like the deck. Yeah. I also played a Green Red Storm. I messaged Caleb Schur on Twitter to try and like help me make a clickbait YouTube video. <laughs> um, and I actually got a turn two kill. I had turn one venerated Rot Priest, 
turn two, two Mishra's Baubles, gut shot the Rot Priest, and then have double ground rift for exactly uh, 10 poison for the opponent. And uh, it, it literally exploded on YouTube because... Wait, so the, you had a ritual too? Uh, no, no, no. Turn one Rot Priest and then gut shot's free. Ground rift is one red. So you just... Uh, I'm stupid. I was thinking grape shots. Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. No, yeah, it, it, the deck is not good. I promise you it is not good. But because I got the turn two kill, there are a lot of comments like, I'm so glad I quit this game ages ago. I sold my collection ages ago. This game is dying. This needs to be banned. There's people like <laughs> skipping to the turn two kill and just begging for bans. The video is over 100,000 views. It's like exploded. Nice. Yeah, awesome. yeah, it's jokes. And it went even more viral because my opponent actually had a turn three hammer kill. They had the turn one Sigardis aid Ornithopter and then attacked and put the hammer on it. Yeah. So they actually salted in the chat because I turn two killed them. <laughs> so it made people even more hyped because they're like, oh, he's salting and he had the turn three kill. How can you be mad? Oh, it was beautiful. But no, that deck is really bad. Um, yeah. And... I find it funny because at the end of the video, I say, please don't play this deck. I think it's bad. Yeah. But everyone just watches the turn two kill, thinks it's the most broken thing to exist, <laughs> and just makes assumptions. Yeah, I, I love the magic comment section. Like, the, the, the interesting things that people say just blow, blows my mind. I, I, love, I love it, though. It's, it's a good laugh. Uh, apart from that, though, I'm just, I'm just messing around in vintage legacy, every popper. Anytime I see... Basically, my YouTube channel, I somehow like this when someone asks me. I'm making competitive content that is tailored towards commander players. That That's it. Because uh, I think, honestly, 90% of YouTube is people who, who would uh, only like to watch commander. Yeah, yeah. I, I played a, a Pioneer Prelim with Blue Black today because I thought it would be in a good spot. I actually lost to Ragdos round one. But I was up a game and then I misclicked in game two to lose game two and then I lost game three. So it was pretty close. And then I beat Green even though he he scooped middle of game one. He was behind, but I guess he had to go. I don't know. And then I beat Creativity. It was mm. kind of funny. I got paired against Creativity. Pretty good matchup. And then I beat uh, Blue-White Spirits in the last round. And that was probably a pretty favorable match. I actually, I mentioned earlier, I think blue Black's a good spot. And I guess for people who wonder about the Creativity deck, is it still in a good spot? I'm not sure. You know, it's um, people could adapt. They could play a second auto aura, which is kind of a hard card to beat game one. If you have a little pressure and sit back on auto aura, that can be tough. People could start playing more cards like Vanishing Verse, Splashing for it or whatnot. Um, so I'm not sure. As far as the list goes, I wouldn't change too much right now. Um, the last few cuts we made... I guess for reference, you know, go check Reed's list or my list, but we ended up playing two Mutavolts and one Hall of the Storm Giant. And we were debating between that, playing just free Mutavolts, or playing the free Mutavolts and the Hall. So getting a little greedy and playing four creature lands. As far as the main deck goes, we're all pretty much in agreement, you know. Maybe maybe the Shark Typhoon main is not that great, but I kind of wanted four. I was kind of the one who pushed for for Shark Typhoon total, because I thought it would be really important in a lot of matchups. Um, and then the sideboard was pretty solid. I know my teammates played, some of my teammates played the the PTQ on Sunday. They did something that was really cool. Everyone who was 
who played the PT could play a, a PTQ on Sunday. So I think it ended up being like 110 players with four slots and directly to the Pro Tour. Um, Autumn, Autumn Burchett actually uh, won it was, um, was her Mardu deck, um, Mardu sack. And my teammates, I think they played, some of them played Leyline of Sanctity in the sideboard, a couple Leylines to help against Ragdos because uh, almost every Ragdos list we played at the PT had at least eight discard spells after sideboards. And I, I'm not super sold. I think it's fine as 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 much as I hate Leylines. I think it's a fine, fine spot to play Leyline. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure if people start hating on the deck, if it's still going to be great. Uh, or how you can adapt. Maybe, you know, if people start showing up with Vanishing Verse and that kind of card of the sideboard, maybe you just creativity into Atroxa, which is something we tried a tiny bit and it just sounded too bad in theory. We're too worried that it's, we're going to creativity into Atroxa and then we're still going to lose, you know. Mm. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see, but the, the list was like super, super solid. Not a card I was pushing for, as a one-off was summary dismissal, as a way to exile uh, the encounter all Sphinx. It's an, a card against thought distortion. In case you know people, other people showed up with the horror, the Hallbreaker horror, uh, Tyson against Shark Typhoon. So that was kind of like, you know, the, the my 16th sideboard card was maybe the first Ether Gust, and then 17th sideboard card would, would probably been that summary dismissal. But yeah. That's yeah. you? Yeah. Oh, okay, sick. Damn. That's really cool. I didn't realize they did that that PTQ that, that kind of went unspoken. Yeah. But um I guess that's gonna wrap up this week. One hour and ten minutes of pure magic the gathering content for you guys. But at the end of every episode we gotta do Price is Right, Life on the Line. Price is right. What card th- what was a card that highlighted your weekend that you don't know the price of? <laughs> I kind of want, I don't know if it's what? up on Magic Card Market, but they gave us a really cool card. Uh, every player got a secret lair prize card, Jay's the Mind Sculpture, and top sixteen players of the PT got a full version. And apparently, the the regular version people were selling for four or five hundred bucks on site right away, and I think the full version people were speculating like four or five thousand dollars so i was thinking maybe i mean we, we can do another card maybe a card out of creativity would be uh i think we've done creativity in the past we weren't playing any new cards shark typhoon we could do in- we could do shark typhoon i have no oh no actually i bought shark typhoons i bought a bunch oh. of cards for the deck we could do a traxa oh that's a tough one. Oh no i i know from a video Oh. It's like 35 or something. Um, okay, what else made top eight and is cool? There was the white green. Does white green auras have any rare? I mean, it has Skrelev. Skrelevs. Oh, yeah, it's it's a it's a rare from the new set. That's gonna be yeah. pretty. Much. What could we do? What is another breakout card? There's a bring to light Omnath deck, but it didn't play new cards really. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> Agree <laughs> to a prize split? <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Let's just just pick something. Right, let's do enigmatic incarnation, I guess. Oh, okay. Because I think that's a mythic too. Okay, Not I've sure. got a price. All right. I don't know if it's a mythic or a rare though. Um, all right, sure. I have a price too. Three, two, one, twelve, seven. I would oh, have said seven. If if it's a normal rare, actually, I think seven is a great guess. If it's a mythic, uh, I said twelve because I thought it was a mythic for some reason. And it probably spiked a bit. If you, I know we're doing seven day average though, right? <laughs> How much is it exactly? Twelve. <laughs> Two cents. <laughs> oh, so it's not a mythic. It's a rare. It's worth literally nothing. Thirty day average is twenty cents, but what, what about you can literally price? get a set for eight cents on card market. Even after the the, the showcase and the pro tour, wow. I guess because it's like it's a rare from a really recent set. Yeah, like I guess not so. older than wow. two years, and it only goes in one deck in one format. Yeah, that's mad. Okay, well, go pick up your eight cent play set of Ignatic Incarnation on Card Market's website. While we do life on the line, theoretical tournament tomorrow, win the event you live, lose, you die. Deck from every format that you think is suitable for yourself. For me, I'm going to do modern. I actually am pretty decent at the Devoted Druid deck, so I'd risk my life with that. And in Pioneer, I think that I would play Lotus Field. I actually feel quite confident with the deck, specifically because when I drove to Birmingham, there was a guy in the car playing Lotus Field, so we had to talk about the deck because he never played it before. He was playing Team Trios, and they needed someone on the Pioneer slot. Yeah. What about you, Gab? In Pioneer, I think I would play Blue-Black Control. And in Modern, I haven't played a ton of Modern. I'd probably still play Bent Arcades, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Okay. What about where can we find you on the internet this week? Yeah, I'm back to streaming. Twitch.tv slash yellowhat. If you want to come and hang out, have more questions about how the PT went or the deck or anything, just say hi, hang out. Find me on Twitch. You can find me on YouTube, HarryMTG, clickbaiting the hell out of these commander players, trying to get them interested in Constructed. But uh, yeah, apart from that, it's going to be... it from us this week pat is hopefully coming back next week obviously it's hard to line up work and the podcast schedule uh, thank you guys so much for listening this far into the episode and we'll catch you guys next time yeah thank you so much everyone hope you all have a great weekend we'll see you next time take care <laughs>